Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This On Air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. Today's guest is attorney Grace Russler, an attorney in Myrick O'Connell's family law and divorce group. You can learn how Grace and her colleagues at Myrick O'Connell can assist you with your business and personal legal needs by visiting MyrickO'Connell.com. We should note this is being recorded on March 29th, 2020, during the coronavirus crisis, otherwise known as COVID-19 crisis. Grace joins us today to discuss the impact of COVID-19 on family law here in Massachusetts. Grace, welcome. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Hi. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Thank you. Welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Great to have you with us, and thanks for taking the time. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. My first question would be, just right off the bat before we get to the details, is what exactly is family law? Well, uh, family law covers kind of numerous topics, but I think uh, the big three are divorce, modifications, and contempt actions, where if someone is violating uh, the court orders, you can go back into court and try to seek to right the wrong, if you will. Those are probably the top three things that people should know about in terms of family law. So what changes has the state made in family law due to this uh, kind of scary, tragic uh, coronavirus COVID-19 crisis? Yeah, yeah, it, it has been scary. Um, and the, the state has made substantial changes to the way that we are practicing family law. Um, on March 17th, um, the SJC, or the Supreme Judicial Court, adopted a standing order. It was 2-20, uh, which went into effect the very next day, so March 18th. And the standing order established really three major but temporary changes to our family court system. Um, The first one was that the order closed the family law courts for any in-person events, basically, for hearings, motions, trials, everything, from March 18th through April 6th. So it it really put um, the business of the court, to some extent, at a total standstill. Um, And the only exception that the order provides is for, quote-unquote, emergencies that can't be addressed by phone or video conference. Um, The next kind of temporary change that the order provided for was that each individual division of the probate and family court, and by that I mean each county that you live in, would establish their own protocols in determining what that emergency is and how to handle the emergency. Um, Meaning, do you address the issue by phone? Do you email a motion to the register? Do you have to go in person, which I know that they were trying to um, keep people from doing. So the counties have individually taken over on a case-by-case basis in some circumstances what an emergency is and how do we address the emergency um, in terms of the form in which you bring that emergency in the various county. Um, and finally, every hearing, this is, this is very important because, it, again, it put a standstill really for a lot of people's active cases. 
every hearing, whether it was a status conference or a pretrial conference or a temporary orders hearing, even trials that um, were supposed to be going on from March 18th through April 6th were all rescheduled uh, and put out on dates past May 1st, which is huge. The courts are already, um, you know, pre-COVID, as I will call it, pre-COVID, the courts were handling a lot of cases and a lot of people on a daily basis. Post-COVID, there's going to be a very large backlog of everything that uh, was previously scheduled and supposed to happen between this time period. Thank you for that great explanation. And all I have to say is, wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> wow. I think that is the appropriate response and the response that we all have had. <laughs> Thank you for so uh, articulately and uh, very concisely describing kind of uh, organized chaos at this point. So I guess the first big question I have after what you just said, Grace, is what qualifies as, quote unquote, an emergency? Yeah, and that's the thing that we're all really wrapping our heads around right now. Um, To give some context to the question, it's important to note that under normal circumstances or pre-COVID, Uh, Most family law lawyers would consider immediate parenting plan issues as an emergency uh, and would be able to get the court to hear parenting plan issues on an emergency basis. Um, For example, if you had a parenting plan and your child was supposed to alternate between the parents um, and you were supposed to get your child back on a certain day, and the other parent kept the child for some reason, you would be successful generally in going to court either that day or the next day and asking for an immediate curement, essentially, of what had happened, that you would be able to get your kid back, that you would be able to continue the parenting plan that had been court-ordered. That would all be considered an emergency enough, usually, to get in on some kind of motion or even a very quick contempt action. Um, In some instances, you could even get in uh, early on financial issues. Now, generally, the courts don't necessarily support using financial issues as a means to file an emergency. But, for example, um, I've had cases where if someone needs to pay a down payment for a college tuition um, or a college application and time is running out, people have been able to get in on an emergency basis, um, whether that day or be able to get in in a, a very short period of time. And you go in on what is called a short order of notice, which allows you to maybe have three or four days later, you can have that hearing, but it's still the idea that you can jump the list. Um, The changes made here in this order uh, basically divide uh, emergencies into two situations. One is automatic and the other one is case by case. Um, and, And really, the courts are under this order really limiting emergencies to life and death situations. And that just begs the question, Grace, what are examples of life and death situations? Right, right. So the emergency is automatic under this order if 
there's a reasonable belief that a person is in fear of imminent physical harm by another person. So that's that's what we refer to as a 209A or a restraining order um, under the Commonwealth. That is a criminal matter that can be heard in either the probate and family court or the district courts. That is, that's an automatic emergency under this order. The other automatic emergency is what's called an order to vacate. Um, that's under Mass General Laws Section 34B. The standard for that is if you can prove that the health, safety, and welfare of a parent or child is in jeopardy if the other parent remains in the home. This is a civil complaint. Um, it's popular in probate and family court where, let's just say, the tenor of the household is getting really tense. The parents are arguing all the time. Maybe there's threats of physical violence, but it has not occurred. And, you know, it's the idea that it's a teapot ready to boil over. Those are situations where you might go in for an order to vacate just to remove someone from the home to maintain kind of a, a safe level um, with everyone. So under this order, um, under this 2-20, these two are automatically emergencies under the order and should be in, like addressed immediately, and the courts are willing to hear them under this order. The other forms, there's kind of a, they give another section that's case by case, and they kind of do a catch-all um, as part of that later on in the order that said that possible emergencies, what you deem as an emergency for temporary orders or a contempt, those are going to be determined on a case-by-case -case basis and only where exigent circumstances exist, and they don't define what exigent circumstances are in the standing order. So if you, um, you know, this, this is going to be a case-by-case -case basis, certainly. And, and my guess is, as I said, it, it better be good <laughs> in order to, uh, to get in and to be heard under these circumstances. We're talking with attorney Grace Russler from the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. She practices in the family law and divorce practice of Myrick O'Connell. And what experience, Grace, have you had navigating the courts since this standing order came down, kind of adjusting how the probate and family law courts are hearing cases or actually not hearing cases right now? Yeah, so about less than a week after the standing order came down, I did have the opportunity um, to be involved in a case uh, where we tried to bring an emergency order. I had a client whose live-in romantic partner, they had been dating for um, over three years um, and lived together. He had worked in a retirement community for older people, um, and the client split parenting time with her ex-spouse. They rotated the children on a weekly basis. Um, the ex-spouse thought um, or alleged that since my client's longtime partner worked with the elderly, that their children uh, would be at risk um, on contracting COVID-19. And so the ex-spouse told my client that if my client's partner didn't move out of the house, um, by the time that their next exchange took place, the ex-spouse would not return the children. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a huge, um, 
you know, that's a, it's, that's huge. I mean, for someone to be withholding children, like I said, pre-COVID, um, that would automatically be something that I'd be able to run into court to rectify the situation. Um, so when I heard what was going on, we worked diligently to file an emergency motion. Um, we called the court, this particular uh, county, the registered emergency line was where we called. They said, okay, we are accepting all emergency motions by email. And they gave us an email address, uh, which I want to note was not a state email address. It was a Gmail address that they clearly have set up as a result of this situation. Um, so we drafted a verified motion, which means that it is under oath. The client signed it under oath explaining the situation, and we filed that email um, with the county very early, first thing um, on a Monday morning. We did not hear back from the court until 5.30 that evening. I mean, we spent all day monitoring <laughs> monitoring the emails. Um, I called the court to see if they had received it around 2.30 in the afternoon. Um, at 5.30, when we finally got the email, back from the county, we were told this did not rise to the level of an emergency and we were not going to get a hearing. And we were told by email that lawyers needed to work together. And at that point, my, my client had not seen her kid in three days, her children in three days. Mm. And, and so as eventually, um, because we realized that we were not going to be able to access the courts, we did, in fact, work something out with the other parent. Um, and my client um, did get her children back. Um, but under any other circumstances, we would have been able to do that uh, much, much quicker and with the use of the courts, um, since we were obviously denied the opportunity to tell a judge what was going on. Grace, in light of all of what you just said, do you worry that withholding children will temporarily become the new normal? I do. Um, it does concern me, especially if nurses, doctors, first responders, um, similar to this situation, people that work, um, you know, people that are still working, um, you know, if they work at a grocery store, if they work at a pharmacy, um, if these are parents of these children and the other parent is, is, you know, obviously trying to be cautious, but if they think that their spouse or ex-spouse is more likely to be exposed, I fear that more people will start withholding their children. Um, luckily, and interestingly enough, the very next day, so the motion that we had done, we had filed it on a Monday morning. We got the results of that at 5.30 that evening. The very next day on March 24th, the Chief Justice of the Probate and Family Court, John Casey, penned an open letter regarding co-parenting, um, sent it out to all of the counties, all of the bar associations, all of the attorneys, um, and he formally recommended that parents maintain the status quo and continue their court-ordered parenting plans um, as they had been, you know, provided and as they had been doing pre-COVID-19. 
Um, specifically, he also addressed that in the event that a parent must self-quarantine, uh, he recommended that parents continue to keep a connection with their children with things like FaceTime and Zoom and you know, even having game night, for example, um, over the phone, anything to keep that connection um, with the children. Because especially for children that are of a younger age, it's essential that they maintain um, a connection with their parent. Um, he also, Justice Casey, in his open letter, he also provided links to um, the American Academy. Uh, excuse me, the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. They had done a suggestions and co-parenting tips, um, which I thought was actually really helpful. And, and what are some of those tips? The, um, the AML is what they're called, and they had listed a few things. One of them, obviously, at first and foremost, to be healthy and listen to the CDC recommendations. So they advised that, you know, parents in each of their homes make sure that when the children are with them, that they engage in social distancing, including potentially keeping children away from grandparents. You know, that's that's actually been a really big issue uh, here because, as we know, so many people rely on grandparent assistance during the day uh, when they're at work. And with the rise of COVID-19 and the increased risk, a lot of people have made the decision to not involve grandparents um, in the care of their children so that they don't expose grandparents. Um, the AML also had suggested, you know, be calm with your children, be calm around your children. Obviously, you know, you might know what's going on in the world, but they don't necessarily need to know everything. So don't put the news on 24-7 and scare them. You know, try to try to maintain some sense of normalcy in the home. Um, they also, AML, uh, and again, this was before um, Chief Justice Casey's letter came out, but they were the first to really say, you really should be complying with the regular court orders and the parenting plans. You know, for example, if there's a provision in your parenting plan that says there is no school, then you should utilize that section of the parenting plan. Maybe, you know, for some people, for example, uh, it says if there's no school, the parents will split the week 50-50 if normally they don't. Um, you know, I've had a few clients take advantage of that. Um, something else to note for people with spring break plans, etc. You know, just because obviously there's going to be no April break, most likely, doesn't mean that you still can't follow the plan. You know, you still have a full week with your, with whatever parent was going to have spring break. Um, another tip that the AML came out with was, Again, being very creative. Um, vacations will change. Plans will change. Continue to video conference and FaceTime and, and keep, keep the communication open. Um, and part of keeping the communication open is transparency. And transparency to if, if your child has been exposed, if you have been exposed, you know, making sure that the other parent is aware of possible exposure or showing symptoms, you know, this really is a time where parents have to work together, um, even if they're divorced. Um, another tip that they gave was, you know, be generous and be understanding. And I think this is 
very key to what we're dealing with now, especially with how limited the courts are in terms of access right now. You know, the judges are going to recognize who was helpful, who was understanding during this period of time. Just because you can't get into court now doesn't mean that there there couldn't be a contempt against you later for withholding a child or for doing something else inappropriate and against the court orders. You know, I think that with more people that are obviously staying at home, you know, maybe maybe someone is a doctor and the other person's a teacher, and the teacher is going to be at home. The doctor is working, you know, 18 hours a day. You might want to, you know, modify your parenting time to assist that person who's working on the front lines. You know, anything like that, I think the judges are going to recognize um, who's being helpful and who's not. And, and the final tip that they had, um, again, is being understanding when it comes to the financial issues as well. Um, to note, this order... Um, does not include, as an emergency, non-payment of support. So if all of a sudden, if you are the payee, if you are the person getting support and the payor has stopped paying you, right now you, you don't really have a remedy other than to keep track of what the person is not paying you. You can file your contempt when the courts open. Um, but the idea is, even if you don't pay everything, if you can't pay everything, you know, or you don't receive the exact amount, I think that we're, everyone has to be patient and everyone has to kind of work together. And the hope is, is that if people's jobs have been affected, that there's communication about that between the parents um, and the payors and the payees. You know, as I listen to this, Grace, I'm thinking, this has got to be so overwhelming for folks going through this because not only, okay, so you have you know, these people, you know, likely are divorced. Okay, so that's the first thing. Or going through a divorce or there's strife. So that's number one. Then you have kids who you, you don't see all the time and you're worried about their health. Then you have the health issue of uh, this life-threatening health issue for everybody. You can't get too close to people. This has just got to be so overwhelming right now in this particular area of the law. It is. It is. And I think it's very stressful. For, it's very stressful. It's stressful for the parents. It's stressful for the children. It's stressful for the lawyers because, um, like I said, the, these orders change day by day. Um, I know it just came out, I think, yesterday that the governor was recommending um, if you travel into the Commonwealth, you should do a voluntary 14-day self-quarantine. Um, and, you know, immediately among the family law community, there was questions of, you know, what, what about the kids that, you know, especially Bristol County, Essex County, those counties are so close to state lines. There are a lot of families that cross borders uh, with their parenting plans. So what does that mean? You know, is the child supposed to self-quarantine? Are they not supposed to bring a child across state borders right now, even even if that is pursuant to a court-ordered parenting plan? Uh, you know, like I said, people are very, you know, people are scared about what's going on, but people also don't want to violate their court orders, you know. So it's something to think about, certainly. And, and I do hope um, that there will be more guidance on that particular issue um, if, in fact, that, that rule does come into place or if it's 
strictly enforced because we do have a lot of parents that live across the border. We're talking to Grace Rustler, a family law and divorce attorney with the law firm of Myrick O'Connell, having offices in Worcester, Boston, and Westboro. And she's talking to us here on On Air with Myrick O'Connell about the changes that have taken place very quickly, abruptly, in response to the coronavirus COVID-19 crisis. So, Grace, the courts are closed, that we know. If you were thinking divorce before all this started, what should you do now? Well, you know, I think you take this time to get your ducks in a row. Um, Getting a divorce is a lengthy process. Getting information needed for your divorce takes people some time uh, on a good day. (laughs) And so even though the courts are not open, uh, we are still helping clients fill out the initial paperwork so that it is all ready to go when things get back to normal. We are helping people get their initial financial disclosures in order. Um, there's there's two kinds. It's called Rule 410 and a Rule 401 financial statement. And what is a so-called Rule 410 and 401 financial statement, Grace? So the Rule 410 is basically mandatory disclosures. And anyone that's getting a divorce in the Commonwealth is required to exchange with the other person three years' worth of personal bank account statements, retirement account statements, brokerage statements, their last four pay stubs, the last three years of tax returns, um, any applications for mortgage or loans, um, and any information regarding health insurance. And and that is a lot of paperwork. Um, And I know that it takes people a while to gather all that information. So, like I said, it's it's good to start because you're going to need all of that anyway down the line. The 401, the Rule 401 financial statement, there's two forms. Um, One is called a short form, and that's for people whose gross incomes are less than $75,000 per year. There's a long-form financial statement, and those are for individuals that earn $75,000 and more gross income per year. The financial statements are... One of the most important documents that you will file in court, it is used to determine support or alimony, asset division, um, who's paying for which liabilities. And so each page of the financial statement relates to your existing income, uh, expenses, assets, liabilities, um, and, and certainly, you know, if you have rental properties, there's additional pages for that. If you have a business, there's substantial documents um, that are then attached to that financial statement. It is a, um, a lengthy document in some cases. And again, that's something that you can start working on now, even if, even if you don't necessarily file anything right now. So why would you not want to file right now, Grace? Do you have any concerns about filing the divorce or modification action now, maybe while things are quiet and you can get it in the queue? Is that possible? Yeah, you know, it's under the standing order that just came out. They are still accepting filings. Um, But I have to say that most of the time, we really do prefer in-hand filings. And obviously, they they aren't necessarily inviting people 
you know, to, to file in hand right now with the courts. They're really trying to keep people out of the courthouses. Um, and the reason why we like to hand file is because we make sure that, number one, it's accepted because sometimes you get to the courthouse and there's blanks or um, they, they, you know, there's some reason why the paperwork might, you know, someone says, well, what about this? You know, you want to be there to answer those questions in case there's any issues. Um, and also you can get the summons right away. Most of the courthouses will allow you to wait. So while the clerk is putting in all the information into the computers, you know, you can wait 20 minutes or so, and then they will give you the summons back. And the summons is the document that needs to be served on the other person so that the other person is aware that a lawsuit has been filed. You know, sometimes if you wait for that summons in the mail, you don't get it for four weeks sometimes. So we, we do prefer the hand delivery um, to ensure, number one, that it actually is filed, that everything is correct, and then also we can get that summons. So the problem that we have now is um, we don't want to risk anything getting lost in the mail. Um, the other part of this is the order says all new cases will not be given any hearing until after May 1st anyway. So the way I see it, it's it's not worth it necessarily to let it get lost in the mail and there's going to be a line out the door, you know, come May 1st. Come May 1st. Um, also to note, not all cases can be e-filed. They, they have encouraged people to e-file, but um, a divorce can be e-filed, but a modification cannot. And a, a modification is if you're making any changes to a pre-existing divorce agreement. Um, so modifications are cannot be e-filed. So something like that, you would have to file um, hand delivery anyway. So, Grace, uh, we're running out of time here on, on air with Myra O'Connell. You've given us a lot of really useful information. To sum up, if you have an active case, if someone has an active case right now, any advice? Yeah, I think maintaining the status quo is is the best thing to do. Um, the GAL investigations have been suspended by the court's new orders. Most of these hearings have been continued past May 1st. I have to say that the people that I have had where, you know, maybe we would have gone into court on an issue, um, you know, sometimes you have to do a little risk assessment. Maybe the status quo is better right now. You know, what if you go in and you, you try to, you know, you try to go in on an emergency, but you don't get the emergency? Um, is that going to upset the other person where, um, you know, the reaction is not going to be good for you? You know, the reality is we're all, you know, supposed to be in our homes together with our families. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of strategizing with my clients to make sure that, Maybe it's best if everyone is, if you are safe and you have access to uh, finances, maybe it's best that we ride this out, we maintain the status quo, and then we make a move, um, you know, after and when we have better access to the court. 
Very well put. So much going on, particularly in this area of the law, and it's so emotionally laden. Today's guest on On Air with Myra O'Connell has been attorney Grace Rustler, an attorney in the firm's family law and divorce group. How can folks uh, reach you, Grace, at Myra O'Connell? I'm certainly on email, um, and you can still call my voicemail. My direct line is 617-391-2160, and my email is G. R-O-E-S-S-L-E-R at MyrickO'Connell.com. Thank you so much, Grace. You can learn how Grace and her colleagues at Myrick O'Connell can assist you with your business and personal legal needs by visiting MyrickO'Connell.com. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. I'm Howard Kaplan on behalf of Myra O'Connell and attorney Grace Rustler. Thanks for joining us today. Take care and stay safe. Thank you so much, Grace. You're very welcome. Thank you. Take care. 